In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Now then what we're doing, and just up on the screen is an outline of uh, just the next few weeks, we're, we're taking a pause from Exodus uh, 33, we'll return to the last uh, few chapters in, in July. Uh, on the 25th of June, so in a few weeks, um, we're going to be licensing Luke. Uh, Bishop Jonathan's going to be preaching on that occasion and, and licensing Luke. We're, we're glad that that's uh, happening. The 2nd of July, Mission Beyond Bromley, and this uh, uh, Sunday that we've had for many years, which is just a really uh, exciting one as we support our mission partners and pray for them. And uh, then we'll come back to Exodus and then um, people who met Jesus over the, the summer. Before that, uh, though, on the, the next slide, just a three-week series, um, looking at what God says about why we can trust the Bible, um, why it's his unchanging word, what the Bible says about um, marriage and singleness and sex, why what he says is good for all people. So those are the things that we'll be thinking about in the next few weeks. There's a little outline of that. And the reason we're doing that is that many would uh, know that within the Church of England, um, back in... Uh, January, you'd be aware of the headlines um, for that, um, that uh, uh, the bishops of the Church of England and the Synod uh, have voted to, to bless uh, gay um, marriage. And in July, coming along soon now, um, we'll see what the shape of those prayers um, will be. Um, there'll be a vote on that in November. That will largely determine um, a lot of the, the future of the Church of England uh, in the coming uh, years ahead. And so we wanted to just take this um, from God's Word and think about it at this important stage and just to have a few weeks looking at God's Word together to see what God's Word says and doesn't say on these issues. And so today we're thinking about the question of repentance, all of life being a life of repentance for all of us. And we're really building off the back of where we were last week uh, if you're here in Exodus last week, you might remember that we were thinking about um, idols. You remember the, uh, the golden calf. And uh, we heard as we looked at God's word that one of the reasons that it seems the people created their idols was because they were anxious about the future. They weren't sure where Moses was. They weren't sure if God was still with them. And so they created this idol to help them uh, lead them in the future. So it was an insecurity that led to that. And I guess as we sort of think about ourselves, many of us would know that that is one of the things that leads us to create our own uh, idols. We feel anxious about the future. We all feel that in different uh, ways. 
Uh, we don't make golden calves. That's not what we uh, tend to do. But we do make other things. We do create our own sort of identities and bow down to them. Uh, we do try to fulfill ourselves and, and ward off disaster by living our best life through um, our careers or our comfort or, or being liked at school. You know, Pathfinders, you'll know something of, uh, of that. And the people in Jesus' day were no different to us. They lived under a Roman king, and he said, you can live your best life through the empire that we provide uh, for you and our God. So if you live for uh, money and sex and power, life will go well for you in the world of the Roman uh, Empire. But like the people back then, uh, we know also that trying to live through our idols, through our dead gods, doesn't actually solve the problem. That's why we find that we need to create more and more of them all of the time, new and novel ones. Because only the true God, only the living God can satisfy and into that world, into that Roman world back in Jesus' day, Jesus spoke, verse 15. And I wonder if you'd just open your, your Bibles, page 1008, and just uh, fix your eyes on that verse that we're really going to shape our message from this morning. Verse 15. Jesus said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel or the good news. So Jesus' message is that the kingdom of God is the kingdom. That's the headline for us this morning. The kingdom of God is the headline. Oh, sorry, is the kingdom. And so the, the response to that is to turn from all other kings and live for this kingdom alone. So that's where we're going. We'll think a bit about um, us and our culture and our church uh, towards the end. But the first thing for us is that the kingdom of God is the kingdom. Now, it may be that you're so used to the word uh, kingdom, if you've been around sort of church circles, that that word may have been blunted for you. We think of kingdoms. Maybe we can't even think of a kingdom. But if we do, we think of a king, and we think of a king who maybe doesn't have an enormous amount of political power. I mean, in 1967, here's a picture of a man called Major Paddy uh, Bates. And uh, he occupied a fort uh, off the coast of Suffolk. You might remember this man, um, Paddy Bates. He occupied a fort off um, Suffolk. He ran a radio station. And he declared it a kingdom. Uh, it was called the Principality of Sealand. Just this little fort. Um, he declared it as a state. He, he wrote its laws. Um, they had a flag. They had a football team. I don't quite know where they practiced. But... Uh, <laughs> Extraordinary, you know, he said, this is a little kingdom. And we hear that, so maybe we think the kingdom of God is a bit like that. just sort of self-contained, small, niche. Or we think, you know, on the right there, the kingdom of Brunei. It's one of the, you know, it might spring to our mind. The kingdom of Brunei in the island of Borneo. It's not a very big geographical area. So maybe we, we struggle when we hear the kingdom of God because we think of it like that, just a self-contained, small, little thing. Maybe it would help, um, maybe not, if we, if we put the word empire in. Maybe that might start to help. Of course, that word has negative connotations. But it has the idea of something that is all-encompassing, that is the whole of life. 
And so Jesus is saying that the good and loving empire of heaven, kingdom of heaven, has come to our earth. Jesus says the, the one empire or kingdom that doesn't come to take, but has come to bless so that we might flourish, Jesus says that has now come. The time is fulfilled in the life of Jesus as the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. And yet as we look around, it looks like the kingdoms of this world are the true reality. Is that not your experience? It's mine. That the kingdoms of this world look like the true reality. Uh, the kingdoms of money, sex and power and pleasure. The, the kingdom of might is right. It seems so obvious that those are the true kingdoms. Maybe we think, well, maybe King Jesus, he can be king over the spiritual world. Maybe that's what he means. You know, he's a local God in charge of religion or the church or Sundays. But really, he has very little to say about my work, my home, my leisure. He certainly has no rights on my body, on my bank account. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come. He, he says, know this. He says, know that the kingdom of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rule the throne of the heavenly kingdoms. He says, know that that kingdom is a, is a place where God is surrounded by billions of angels and billions of believers who have gone before. That, says Jesus, is the true reality. Everything down here is the shadow of that. In the shadow lands down here, we derive our life and our meaning from the world that exists up there. Jesus says that is the way to think about reality. That's what it's like. And Jesus says that in his coming, that kingdom, that different order with all of its meaning and purpose and goodness has now come into this world to flow out into this world. And it's clear that Jesus doesn't think that his kingdom comes as one of many alongside the kingdoms of the world, maybe to make them a little bit better. No, Jesus comes to overturn the kingdoms of the world and to put himself at the center as the rightful king of all. We're naturally suspicious of authority in, in our culture. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we see how good his kingdom is, how he opposes greed, how he opposes hypocrisy and abuse of power, how Jesus brings hope and healing and forgiveness to broken and sinful people. And then we see in his resurrection that Jesus defeats the kingdoms of Satan and sin and death, that Jesus proves himself as the living Lord over every square inch of the universe and history. See, Major Paddy Bates, that guy on the Principality of Sealand, he has no real power uh, at all. It's just a bit, of a, a bit of a joke. But Jesus, in his kingdom, Jesus towers above all empires, above the empire of Rome, above the, the modern Western empire, above the, the kingdoms of uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Jesus rules over all of our little kingdoms of self. He's the true king. And those who met Jesus in the early church, that they 
they knew that Jesus' kingdom wasn't just one that came alongside the others. Uh, when the apostles in Acts 17 went into the town of Thessalonica, they were already known. And the thing that was said of them was, these are people who have turned the world upside down. That was their reputation as they came into town. Because they saw what Jesus' kingdom was about. Jesus' kingdom turns the world upside down. And that's relevant for the culture that we live in, for the church that we're in at the moment, for the Church of England. Jesus is not just a local deity from the first century. Jesus says he's the Lord of history. His kingdom is the kingdom. And Jesus therefore has the right and the knowledge and the love to speak about how we live, how we use our bodies for our good. So there's the first uh, point that Jesus uh, makes for us this morning. The kingdom of God is the kingdom. And the implication of that is that we should therefore turn from all other kingdoms and live for this kingdom alone. So that's what Jesus says at the second part of verse 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That word repent is a very simple word. It just means to turn uh, around. Uh, in, in the Roman army, you were a soldier. You were marching in one direction. The commanding officer would shout out, uh, repent. Um, and the whole army would, would turn and go in the opposite uh, direction. And now, look, we've got the pathfinders in this morning. And so I thought just to help us all to sort of remember it, to do something slightly different, we might just pretend to be the Roman army for uh, a second. So um, I'm going to ask you um, to stand if you're able. Um, if this is your first time here, you don't have to. But otherwise, otherwise we're going to stand. And I want you all to face that way. So face that way, please. And on the spot, I just want you to simply march up and down. So left, right, left, right. Excellent. You're very, very helpful. Good. And repent. Excellent. And march the opposite direction. Fantastic. Fantastic. And repent. Excellent. 180 degrees. You got the idea. Well done. Sit down. Fantastic. Well done. Very simple. Make a terrifying army. A terrifying army. 180 degrees the other way. That's the idea. You repent. You're going in one direction. And you turn around, you go 180 degrees the other way. Jesus uses the word repent. Jesus says all of us with our lives build our lives going away from God. And so all of us need to repent and go the other way. And you see, if we get Jesus, if we get how good he is, we will see that only his kingdom Last. It's the only show in town. And we will walk away from our little kingdoms and all that they represent. And we will live for his kingdom. And we'll live for his kingdom in all of life. It will become our top priority because we'll see that only his kingdom lasts. That only the things done for his kingdom last beyond the grave. So Jesus says, repent and believe. There's a negative, turn from. There's a positive, turn to. And so look, I wonder if you're new to Christian things. I wonder if you've got this. Have you heard this before? If you're old to Christian things, have you forgotten this? This is the Christian life. Repentance 
and belief. In fact, Martin Luther, the, the, the German reformer, when he put his 95 theses and, and banged them uh, on the, the door, the, the first one he said was that all of life is repentance. It's whole of life, not just sort of doing penance and, and saying a prayer, but all of life turned around to follow God. I think in my own life of a, a man, and I think I probably must have explained it badly to him, but when we talked about repentance, I think he thought that I said that what he needed to do was just to say a little sorry prayer, a prayer of repentance, but then he could basically carry on living his life as if he was in charge. I think that's what he understood because I don't think he's, he's following Jesus now, but that is a very common misunderstanding. We just tick a box, but we carry on with life. And I want us to look at Mark 8 to see that that's not what Jesus meant. And it just comes up on the screen, but you could look it up as well. Mark 8, verse 34, uh, if you'd like to. Jesus, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. Mark says it's a once-for-all decision in life. Luke, in his gospel, chapter 9, adds the word daily. Jesus seems to have said both. It's a daily thing as well. And so I wonder, do we recognize the life that Jesus describes? Is this what we will teach to the next generation, to the pathfinders, to the spectrum? Jesus says that this is the normal Christian life. It's the normal Christian life around the world today in much of the church. It's been the normal Christian life throughout church history. It's only in the last 50 years in the West that there's been this sort of strange blip of history, this protection of, of Christians where things have been easier. But Jesus couldn't be clearer. He's not hiding it in the small print. Jesus says the normal Christian life in God's kingdom is a conscious, costly decision to sacrifice ourselves to say no to things that we might want as we follow Jesus. And Jesus, of course, is the example of that. He took up his cross. He died to his self. And we do too. But it has a wonderfully good purpose. Jesus says in losing our life, we gain life. We don't actually lose in the long term. As we lose our life in this world, as we die to self, as we trust in him, we secure through him the life to come. And in the meantime, we become more and more like Jesus. In the meantime, we point more and more people to Jesus. Because only eternity can explain the decision to take up your cross and follow Jesus. So there's the, the, the second thing. The first is Jesus says, uh, the kingdom of God is the kingdom. The second is that Jesus says, so therefore turn from all other kingdoms and live for this kingdom alone. And this is where just for the rest of our time, I just want us to think about just starting to apply this to the days in which we find ourselves, especially in the Church of uh, England at the moment. You see, it'd be very easy to make uh, what's going on in our church at the moment just about um, those people over there who need to repent. be very easy just to go in that direction. So, so we could say, um, 
there, there are lots of bishops who need to repent of, of their error. And Jesus would say, yes, yes, they do. Um, or we could say, um, you know, those people over there who are um, sexually active, uh, outside male or female marriage, that they need to repent. And, and Jesus would say they, they do. And we'll come to that in, in, in the next couple of weeks. But Jesus starts here with all of us. Jesus starts here with all of our life. Jesus calls all of us to a whole of life, repentance and faith. Because all of us are, are fallen. All of us have fallen in, in all of our, our lives. All of us have fallen in, in all of our sexuality, whatever our orientation would, would be. And look, so often for us, I find myself in conversations with, with friends in this area, I just don't, I don't quite know where to start. Maybe you find the same. And Jesus says, start here. Start with what we all have in common, first of all, which is that all of us are called to a life of repentance and faith. So where might we, as a church, need to repent? What Jesus would ask us, where, where have we tried just to fit Jesus around our lives? Remember the man I, I mentioned with that, that prayer? We, we just sort of think we were just meant to pray a prayer, but we carry on living our life as normal and we fit Jesus around this. Well, Jesus would say, no, you haven't understood what I'm, what I'm saying. Does his kingdom orbit around my kingdom? Or do I see what Jesus is saying, that it's the other way around, that my kingdom needs to shift and he's now at the center other questions Jesus would ask, do, do we expect comfort as the norm of the Christian life or, or suffering? Are there, are there areas where we're denying ourselves for Jesus? These are challenging, these are uncomfortable questions, but they come right out of Mark 8. And as we ask those questions, it's, it's clear that we all, my, myself included, need God's grace to turn to follow Jesus in the, in the way of suffering, the way of the cross, the way of self-denial, to turn from, but also to turn to. It's both. We turn from, we turn to. So we, believe, we repent, we believe the gospel. We believe again the good news, the good news of Mark 1, that living a whole life of repentance and faith, even with suffering, really is the fruitful life really is the good life, really is the purposeful life. Jesus' life was full of suffering, and yet it was the most human, purposeful, fruitful life ever lived. And so with us, this way is for our eternal good. It's often said that God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. I think that's well put. He loves us as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Uh, Ed uh, Shaw, um, some might know uh, Ed or know of uh, Ed. Uh, Ed is um, a same-sex attracted uh, Christian. 
who's chosen to remain celibate, to be faithful to God's design of marriage. He wrote a book in 2015 called The Plausibility Problem. And one of the points that he makes in there is the Western church is trying to hold on to our comfortable lives and just to add Jesus to it. And he says this, living in the midst of this sort of self-denial-free Christianity obviously makes my choice to say celibate as a same-sex attractive Christian sound so deeply implausible. The suffering that it inevitably brings confuses so many of my Christian contemporaries. It's changing the deal they signed up for. Like any consumers who didn't read the small print, they only want the offer they thought they were getting, which was suffering free. Do you hear what he's saying? He's wrestling with the fact that the comfortable Christianity of the West has made it harder for, for all single people, including those who are celibate, who experience same-sex attraction, who seek to live lives faithful to God's word. He's saying it's, it's, it's made it harder for them because um, they and, and some of us are, are trying to live a life of self-denial as they hold to God's design for marriage, but they feel alone in that because it can feel like the rest of the church isn't living that whole life of repentance and self-denial. And so he's saying, I guess, just like this picture, he's saying it, it can feel like, like this. He's trying to swim against the tide, but just so isolated. And I guess his plea, and the plea of his book, if you read it, and it's really a great book to read, his plea is that it would be really strengthening for people in his situation. If, he, if they looked around and they saw the majority of Christians embracing a life of costly suffering, as Jesus said we should, with our time, with our bodies, with our, our money, our choices, our popularity, then they'd know they weren't alone. It would be much better if it was more like this picture, you see. He'd say it would feel much more like that. If the church around was, was just living out Mark 8, as Jesus said. And so I've been wondering what sort of stories would encourage um, someone like Ed. And I think of some stories in, in the church here and others from, from other churches that I know. I, I think of a young woman who, who's held to the Bible's um, view of, of marriage and sex in her, in her friendship group. But to do so, she's sacrificed popularity. She's been left out uh, often. And yet she's kept loving her friends and welcomed many into the church through costly hospitality. I think of, of, of that sacrifice. I think of a, a partner in a law firm at a church that I was in who sacrificed time and, and money and, and put himself at the church's disposal just to do what was needed. Um, just admin and uh, menial jobs. I, I think of a teenager and the sacrifices of time that they make, they make to teach young people the Bible. I think of our senior saints who use the energy of their later years to serve the weakest and, and the least, who, who might not feel that they can do much, but they deny their comfort to wrestle in prayer for mission around the world. I, I think of lots of encouragements of, of, of this life here. I'm not saying Ed's diagnosis of the Western Church is is wrong, I think it's probably right. And so we need God to multiply many stories amongst us 
um, of lives of repentance and faith as, as we care for the weak, as we resist greed and, and sexual immorality ourselves in every form. And again, just a question for us. I wonder, I wonder if it's possible that as, as a church and as churches that we've lifted up the nuclear family, maybe in reaction to the sexual revolution, we've lifted up the nuclear family, 2.4 children, so much that we've downplayed God's vision for the church as the main place for family. That, that maybe we've not lifted up singleness as as precious to God as we ought to have done. And so a question uh, for us all, I guess, is will we consider our lives as lives of self-denial for the kingdom of God? Will we pray, Lord, what would, you have, what would you have me do? What would you have me go without to serve the kingdom? I think that's a word for all of us as a church, just to think about, to pray about, to talk about in our small groups, to go forward together on us. But a word for a few of us, just as, as we close, and maybe that, that we're here and we, we experience same-sex attraction, and it should go without saying, but I, I want it to be said and for us all to hear, that everyone is welcome uh, here, that you're loved by God and by us. And if you're here and you're, you're single and you're seeking to be faithful to God's word and seeking to do so in a culture that is saturated by, by sex, you, you are some of the great modern heroes who encourage us as you live out what Jesus said. And it may be, as Ed would say in his, his book, it may be that you felt isolated in your self-denial because you've been made to feel like you're the only ones who should be living a, a life of suffering. And, and we're sorry if we've, if we've made that harder. We want to be a church where all of us together, all of us together are living the life of self-denial that Jesus says, so that we walk in a family where it's normal for us to deny ourselves, me and my life, you and yours. But also as a family, to remind each other of the end of Mark 1, and we'll finish here. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel, the good news. Jesus doesn't just end in self-denial. It's self-denial, there is good news. Remember where we started with the, the idols, the, the golden calf? We all go chasing our idols because we're anxious about the future. We want someone to go ahead of us to secure the future, well, Jesus Christ is that one. His way of the cross is radical, but he has gone ahead of us in the cross to secure our eternal future. And the resurrected Jesus towers above all kingdoms and says, whoever loses his life for me will save it. It will be worth it, says Jesus. Let's pray. Let's have a moment of quiet. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Whoever loses his life 
in this world will save it in the world to come. Father, these are um, strong words for us to think uh, about. And we pray that you'd um, help us. Thanks that the Pathfinders have been with us. Please help them and parents as we talk about these things. Um, these seem strange things to us in our culture, maybe. But we pray that you'd help us today and in the coming weeks to listen to your word and to live out the life that Jesus lived out before us in his strength and for his glory. Amen.